Welcome to the Compliance Perspectives Podcast. I'm Adam Turtletow from the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics and Healthcare Compliance Association. Joining us today from the UK is Ty Francis, who is Chief Advisory Officer at LRN. And then joining us from Austin, Texas, is Eric Moorhead, who's Director of Advisory Services at LRN. First, hi, Eric. Thank you for taking the time away from your day and, in your case, Ty evening to talk to us. Thanks, Adam. Well, thanks. Thanks for having us, Adam. And uh, it's still relatively early in the UK, so I'm, I'm still on the clock. So we're going to talk today about uh, assessing your program, where are companies succeeding, where they're failing. Uh, first, Eric, let me start with you. What are the regulators looking for these days in compliance programs? Well, the, the good news is they've been pretty explicit, uh, as we all know, over the last few years, uh, certainly here, particularly here in the United States. But um, overall, uh, if you look at the standards, not only uh, coming out of the, the Justice, Justice Department here in the United States, but uh, and regulators in Europe and Asia, effectiveness is, is kind of the byword, along with accessible uh, resources, accessible program um, uh, tools and, and processes. So they're, they're, they want to see that what's in place is, you know, to use a term that we've heard for years and years now, not a paper program, right? Uh, they want to know that, uh, that, that, that organizations are targeting the resources that they're putting uh, on the ground for compliance to the risks that the organizations uh, are facing in particularity. So uh, no one size fits all. Uh, no, uh, well, we train 100% of our people and we can call it a day, but really looking at the risks that that, that particular organization faces and uh, tailoring the program so that it is uh, effective. And so the flip side of that, obviously, which we'll talk about a little bit more here in a minute, is measurement uh, so that you know it's effective. So planning for effectiveness, having those resources in place is an expectation, and then also being able to show that. Uh, through measurement. Given what the regulators want, given what their concerns are, Ty, where are you seeing organizations most consistently falling short? I think they're falling short on a, on a, on a number of uh, ways. Where they're falling short is, you know, they're ignoring what they're doing well and they're focusing on what they're doing badly, but then trying to fix those issues with rules and more rules. So, you know, we at LRN like to talk about, you know, values driven um, outcomes and, you know, rules are good, but values are better. So I think what happens is sometimes is they, they do a very quick evaluation of how their program is working using, you know, the DOJ's three kind of bullets and then thinking that's fine. And if they do find something which is, uh, which isn't working, they try to fix it with a rule or with a, a, a certain training program. And that isn't always effective. The example I give is where they've uncovered that there's a speak up issue in their company or there's a, an anti-retaliation problem. And they think we'll just roll out some training on that. Um, and 99 out of 100 people after taking that training, if asked, are you more likely to speak up or do you now fear retaliation less? You're gonna have the same answer. Well, no the same as I felt an hour ago before I took the training, where companies need to be looking at the holistic view of their program and changing their culture. So for example, if 
when doing that and finding out this issue, if they started to actually put their, you know, their policies into practice um, and employees were seeing senior executives getting fined or even fired, um, they were seeing their hotline or their helpline numbers appear on lanyards or on walls or on their code of conduct, um, they would have this overall feeling of, well, actually things are changing. So then if you ask them then, would you be more likely to speak up or do you fear retaliation? The answers will probably be different. So I think that's one issue, I think. Um, also, you know, they try and fix problems with, you know, legalese and bureaucracy. Um, while, you know, they think that because there's a legal issue, they try and fix it by overcomplicating policies, which in essence stop people from understanding the policies. So, you know, and I think when you look at these elements together, they create more problems than they, they, they started with. Which is definitely not what you want to do. Eric, were you going to say something? Yeah, I was just going to amplify that by, by saying, you know, the, I guess the more th more things change, the more they say, stay the same, really, in that I, I can remember going to my first SECE event uh, back in 2007, 2008, something like that, when I first started at the, the U.S. Sentencing Commission. And a lot of the talk back then was, uh, how do you integrate, eth you know, ethics into the compliance program, or what's the what's the interplay between culture and you know the more structural aspects of a compliance program? And so, it's sort of, kind of this, that same tension still going on is you you can throw resources at, at a problem, but if the culture is poisonous or the culture has issues, uh, maybe not, you know, maybe it's not. Maybe it's still salvageable, but but there but there are issues with the culture. You're not going to get to the endpoint you want, and and they really there really is a, a necessity to have both parts of uh, you know both parts working together. That's why we call it compliance and ethics. No, and and I think part of the problem that we have is culture is so much more of an attractable issue. It's much much yeah. harder to move culture than it is to add a control or throw up a, an, an extra training course. Um, you know, people are naturally going to go to the one that they think they can achieve rather than something that fundamental as changing a culture. Now, you know, we've talked a lot about the need to really understand what's going on in your organization when it comes to doing an assessment. What resources uh, should an organization have? Will it need? Uh, I think the two kind of overarching broad things that I always talk about when when organizations are contemplating this, whether they're going to do it uh, entirely internally or whether they're going to seek outside assistance, is time and access. Uh, you really to do this and and really get the results that you want, you need a lot of time. You need to. You need to. If you don't have the time, uh, because you're uh, just, you know, running to standstill uh, as the as the person responsible for the compliance program at the organization, then you need to really think about what other internal resources you can leverage, or if you're going to need to go externally. Time is really uh, with any kind of project um, uh, in in this in our space. You really need to to understand it's going to take a lot longer than what you think. And, and you have to budget the appropriate amount of time for it. And by access, I mean there needs to be buy-in that, that the um, uh, audit committee of the board of directors or whoever oversees the program, from, from that level on down, uh, all the responsible executives uh, are, are all in lockstep with the notion that you need to do this. Because you're going to have to 
uh, involve uh, everybody from the top to the bottom of the organization. So you have to be able to have the authority and access. And we see that in the guidance, right? Uh, over the last few years from, from DOJ, they talk more and more about stature of, of compliance at the organization and access and, and visibility. Uh, and this is really, really part and parcel of that. Uh, so I think everything else kind of flows from that. Um, obviously, you need to have the resources to, you know, either engage uh, uh, external help if you don't have the time to do it internally, and the resources to be able to have the tools and 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 and, and other um, uh, resources to get it done. But uh, really, to me, time and access are kind of the two. Uh, things that you have to plan for first. If there's not interest in doing it and you're not going to be able to um, uh, get the material that you need, you're not going to be able to talk to the people you need to talk to, you're not going to be able to run surveys and do all the things that you need to do, then you're not going to have an effective result at the end because you you aren't going to be able to get that data back. So access is really key and and budgeting the time or, or finding a way to buy the time if you can't budget the time yourself uh, is really key. Now, you, you mentioned a couple of times their data and, and access to the data and, and also access to the board came up, I think, too. But what data is most instructive for assessing where your organization is? I think there are a couple of different buckets. One is um, one that we've been measuring or most organizations have been measuring for a long time, which is misconduct and reporting data. Uh, and so that's not only your help, hop, hotline or helpline, but also uh, information that's coming in through HR, legal, uh, and other avenues. Um, you know, most codes of conduct these days in most organizations, for example, uh, encourage people to go to their managers to report uh, issues and, and uh, ask queries. So is there some sort of funnel uh, where, where some or all of that data is being collected? So that data is something that I think a lot of organizations have been collecting for a while. So that gives you um, a lot of really helpful information about you know, where the failures are, what the risks uh, the organization might be facing um, uh, include. Uh, the other one that's been around for a while and most organizations do some version of is obviously survey work. And that uh, has a couple different flavors. One that's probably the most well known is what we often call culture surveys or compliance surveys, where we're asking um, a broad uh, sample of the population in, in the organization how they feel about the program, what, you know, what, what's, what is their perspective about uh, the culture, um, you know, their ability to speak up if they have questions or concerns, their perception of misconduct in the organization. There's, uh, you, you know, the two most common ways that data is collected is if there's a, you know, like a purpose-built survey that just asks those questions um, or as part of a larger employee satisfaction survey or HR survey. Uh, the other, but there are, but I, what I would encourage organizations to look to also is other uh, survey avenues. Um, what one area that I think can be particularly helpful is what I call a knowledge survey. Knowledge survey, and so that's asking very specific questions and sort of testing the knowledge uh, that that uh, the employees have about particular risk topics. Uh, ex expect you know, and the expectations around those risk topics. Do they know what to do? Um, and also asking them. Um, questions about resources in the organization. So surveys uh, and collecting misconduct, those are 
kind of common. The other thing that's, and, 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 and that's all internal data, right? But the other thing that I think is still very, very helpful and that organizations sometimes struggle with getting is benchmarking data. So what are other organizations doing? Um, uh, if, you, if you do some, some searching around, SCCE uh, has, has done surveys like this in the past and has shared that data. Um, and there's other data out there, benchmarking data from you know, kind of bits and pieces uh, from other firms out there. If you do some digging around, you can find it. But that I think is also important is, is to have some external benchmarking data to go along with whatever you gather internally. I think, you know, benchmarking data often gets a bad rep. <clears throat> um, you, know, the, you know, we all want to stress that each company has its own unique risks and the, the DOJ stresses that companies need to look to their own risks um, and tailor the ENC programs to that. You know, even though two companies might seemingly look the same um, and use benchmarking data, their own risks are going to be inherent to what they do. However, companies need context. And if they're continually measuring this data and continually benchmarking this on, you know, on an ongoing basis, this is going to help them evolve over time. And the, the problem happens is when they do find problems and they fix them, but then those problems happen again. So, you know, are these companies doing serious root cause analysis to how these keep uh, you know, appearing? Um, and as much again, as you know, we are expecting compliance programs and companies to be snowflakes as in, in the good way as in unique, um, you know, companies do need this kind of context to where other companies are looking, especially with risks, you know, are, you know, what kind of transaction with foreign governments are they having? You know, what kind of use of third parties, gifts and travel? You know, is this commensurate to other companies in this industry and what are they doing? How are they triaging this risk? So I think benchmarking can be very, very important. Um, but, you know, again, when you're looking at this, continuous risk assessment is probably one of the safest ways to go. And it will show the DOJ that you care about the monitoring of your program. I was going to say, and and with uh, bench external benchmarking, there's different types of data. Obviously, uh, when we were talking about uh, culture surveys, so you can get uh, some benchmark benchmark data on some of those common questions that you would ask your employees, but you can also get benchmarking data on what companies are doing, like uh, how often do you train on a particular topic, uh, what what type of training do you do? Is it all online? Is it uh, live? You know, what kind of uh, tools do you use? So you can get like really very specific uh, sort of a resource question uh, benchmarking as well. Well, Ty, Eric, thank you so much for sharing these insights with us. I want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen. I'm Adam Trolltaup from SCC and HCCA. I hope we're able to expand your compliance perspective.